I want to talk to you about, uh, we're uh, actually just continue with our little series. We're going to take a little hiatus. Next week, I want to talk to you about uh, answering the question about, is the Bible the Word of God? How can we know that? How can we have any confidence in that? But I want to just take a little kind of a break from that series and answering questions and talk a little bit about uh, ways in which we can share our faith. Or this, you know, we're in this season of evangelism, and uh, it occurred to me that there probably we probably need to talk about some ways in which we can share our faith. And these are not extravagant ways. These are not uh, on, on the grand scale of, of like an evangelistic crusade. Uh, typically, when we think of evangelism, uh, we, t- we think in terms of, of the grand scale, uh, like a, a Billy Graham crusade or a Louis Palau or some of the other uh, well-known evangelists who will, who will come into a city and there will be tremendous emphasis on prayer. Uh, they'll secure a, a, a large room or a stadium like the Coliseum, have a huge crusade, and thousands of people will make some kind of profession of faith, either a rededication or a, a full-on uh, new commitment to Jesus Christ. So while we think of evangelism basically in those terms, uh, that's not how, the, how I want to talk to you. Nor are we thinking in terms of evangelism like, you know, you're going to sit down with somebody cold for first time and open a tract, walk them through the tract and lead them through the prayer and they come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, they recognize all of the truth and everything and they make a decision right there. Uh, those are not the norm. The big evangelistic crusade, that one-time event where you can walk a person right from beginning to end, right uh, to a decision, those are not the norm. Typically, People come to know the Lord uh, through a process of many inputs into their life. We understand the principle. I'm going to show you two passages of Scripture that we're going to read this morning. Two passages, Mark chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Both of these passages speak to the issue of sowing seeds and watering those seeds. What I want to talk to you about could be could be categorized as marginal evangelism. I don't know if you understand the principle of margin or not, but it's phenomenal. All the principle of margin says is that you just take a little bit, you add a little bit to it. You add a little bit more to it. You add a little bit more to it. And pretty soon, those little bits all add up and you've got a huge, big amount. And then somewhere along the line... It's kind of like compound interest. Maybe you understand that better. There's this miraculous thing that God has built into the laws of the universe called compound interest. And all compound interest is, is you just keep adding little marginal amounts, marginal amounts in terms of of financial uh, savings, and pretty soon it begins to add up, begins to add up, begins to add up. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, it it hits what we call critical mass. And then its growth turns from linear to exponential. I mean, it just takes off. The same thing is true with evangelism. There are little bits, little bits, little bits, little bits, little bits that we all do. And this is what can make evangelism so exciting. Is that you realize that you don't have to do it all. That you don't have to be a Billy Graham. That God can use you as you are, who you are, where you are. And he can work through you even in the little seemingly insignificant marginal issues of life. Isn't that exciting? Church Growth Research tells us, and I was just reading this again uh, this week, that, uh, and, this, and this, is, this is a figure I've known for 10, 15 years, that in any given congregation, God apportions the giftings in such a way that in any given congregation, about 10% of the people in that congregation are gifted evangelists. That seems to be a norm for, for most congregations. So, and I don't know, I know some of the people in our congregation who are the gifted evangelists. Those are people who just have a special gift from God to begin to be able to tell somebody about the Lord, instruct somebody about Jesus, talk to him about, and all of a sudden, they come to know the Lord. It's just, it's a miraculous thing. I don't have that gift. 
I thought I used to. I could talk to people and explain the gospel, tell them what the truth was, and get them right to the point of decision, and then say, now, would you like to receive Jesus? And they'd say, no. <laughs> I came to conclude after a number of those occurrences, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I can explain, I can teach, I can instruct, but I, I don't have that gift. But people with the gift, it's just it's a marvel to watch them. Uh, I remember a story about Bill Bright. Uh, told by a fellow that I, I knew who knew him, a mutual friend. Bill Bright started Campus Crusade for Christ years ago. And this friend of mine told me, he said, you know, he's on, I was in an elevator with Bill Bright one time, and we'd gone up in this, in this office building downtown to meet with uh, an executive of some, some, some company, and uh, the purpose was to instruct this man to lead him to the Lord. And uh, he said, Bill Bright got in the elevator, another man got in the elevator, on their way up in the elevator... They never met each other. Bill began to talk to this guy. By the time the elevator reached the destination floor, by the time the doors opened, he had led this man to Christ. <laughs> Bill Bright has the gift of evangelism. Now, that gift can be manifested in different ways. You can have a, a gift uh, to lead children to the Lord. I've, I've known people, and people in our congregation are that way. They have this gift. They just lead kids to the Lord. Other people lead adults to the Lord. Other people can do it, use that gift in a large group. Some people in a smaller group. Some people one-on-one. So there's a variety of usages of that particular gift. Now, I say all of that to say this. What about the other 90% of us? Those of us who are not the gifted evangelists. The very word evangelism, the very thought of witnessing, terrifies the majority of us. I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. I've got to know. I've got to say... Well, I'm here to give you some good news. God uses us in marvelous and miraculous ways. And this is what makes evangelization exciting. And I want to just walk you through some ways. And I want you to think, a chain. And, and every little involvement is a link in that chain that brings a person closer and closer and closer. People in their heart already know there's a God. But for one reason or another, they are in rebellion to God. They may pay lip service. They may acknowledge. They say, well, I believe in God. Or they may say, I don't believe in God. But in their heart, they still know there's a God. But the issue is, will they surrender their life? And will they begin to serve him? That's, that's, our, that's the goal. We all know that's true, don't we? Weren't we all in the same place? most of us probably weren't raised in a, in a loving, wonderful, gracious Christian home. Most of us grow up rebels, sinners, until God got a hold of us and he used some other people in our life. I became a Christian in my, in my uh, mid-30s because of a number of inputs as I look back and as I examine my life. There were a number of people who had impact on my life who came and spoke to me at at various places. I watched their life. They had different impacts on me. But I can can look back with 20-20 hindsight and I can see God's move and God's hand in my life bringing people to affect me. And some of those people I violently rejected and resisted. And so I'm not intimidated at all, hardly ever again, by the fact that people will violently resist and reject me. Because I know what's going on in their life. God's at work. And so if we've had that experience, then we also know that we can be part of that same experience of planting and watering, planting and watering, planting and watering in other people's lives. Knowing full well that God wants them saved. And that he's going to bring other people in their life to do some planting and watering. So we get to be part of a process. And it's not an overwhelming process to us. It's something that we can do in our everyday life. That's what makes it exciting to think, Lord, you can use me and you can use my feeble efforts. You can take my few little fishes and loaves and you can multiply them and you can make great things out of them. Isn't that exciting? So with that, I want us to I want us to look at some ways, and you can write me, I'll give you some, some brief notes and you can follow along. Some ways in which we can indeed 
participate in what I call marginal evangelism. Okay? And you'll find, you'll see, these, these, these are very simple things. These are just out of my own life. You can probably think of others. Uh, wonderful, you can add to them. But these are just the ones that are, are, are common to my, to my life. But let's look at uh, Mark chapter 4. I want to read this, this passage. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 26. Jesus says, This is what the kingdom of God is like. Now he's going to describe how the kingdom of God grows. It's a miraculous thing. God causes it to grow. Not you and I. But we do have a part to play. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. So you got this picture, someone scattering seed. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. So it doesn't matter what we're doing in terms of trying to make the thing grow. Our our job is to scatter the seed. Indeed, uh, our job also is to water the seed. But God brings the growth. In our technological, modern society, all of our greatest scientists, biochemists, horticulturists, none of these people can tell us I mean, they can draw and label the parts. They can show you the different phases of growth, but they can't tell you how the thing grows. They just can't do it. Say, tell me how it happens. How is it when you plant that seed in the ground that the thing grows? They don't know. And indeed, Jesus goes on and he says, all by itself, so it seems, all by itself, the soil produces grain, First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. It just grows. It just grows. So what am I suggesting? I'm suggesting as we plant seeds, we trust God that it's going to grow. It's going to take root. I'm going to plant a seed. You're going to come along and water it. I don't know how many other people are going to be involved in the process, but I know, I know that there is going to be some effect there in that person's life. Verse 29, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts his sickle to it because now the harvest has come. At the, at the appointed hour, at the right time, the harvest will be brought in. But the growth has to happen. The growth isn't going to happen unless seeds are sown. Now flip over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 5 through 7. The context of this passage is a problem. <laughs> As many of you are aware, the Corinthian church had lots of problems, and Paul was page after page after page correcting problems in the context of this, this, this life of this church. The problem that he's addressing here is a problem of divisions in the church. Uh, people were showing um, uh, priority, or they were, they were giving... Um, What's the word I want? Not priority. Preference, that's the word. They're preferring one leader over another leader. And in this case, Paul identifies himself in Apollos. You know, they were, they were taking sides. They're saying, well, well, people say, well, you know, I'm a follower of Paul. Well, I'm a follower of Apollos. Well, I'm a follower of... And, and, and Paul rebukes them, and he says, that ought not to be. Now, in the context of addressing that problem, he... He sets forth a principle that we draw out of there, just like we did in Mark's gospel. Read with me verses 5 through 7. Paul says, Now what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? He says, Are are, are we significant in and of ourselves? He says, Only servants. We're just servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. So he says, Each of us has his task. I'm not greater than Apollos. Apollos is not greater than me. That's not the issue. The issue is we're servants. We're co-laborers. We both have a role and a task and a part to play in God's plan and program. He says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. See, both of us were essential. But God made it grow. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. See, God's really the one who is significant. But he does give us a part to play in the sowing of seeds and in the watering of those seeds in, in terms of, as I described, marginal evangelism. Just a little bit. Just do a little bit. It's another link added to that chain. Now let's look at some ways in which we add links to the chain. Let's look at ways in which we can plant seeds and indeed uh, sprinkle some water on seeds that are planted. The first way is we could answer a question for somebody. Now, we spent the last three weeks looking at some of the questions. We've examined those questions. We said, last week we looked at the question, what, what about evil? People have a problem with evil. They, they don't understand it. If there's a good God, why is there evil? Other people asked a question. We, we looked at this other question. Is Jesus really the only way to God? What about those who've never heard? Will they be condemned to hell? These are, these are profound questions that people have. And there are thoughtful non-believers who want answers to those questions. We must be prepared to give a response. True? To give an answer for the hope that we have. And so while there are all these questions, we, be, we need to be people who are prepared to give an answer. And sometimes the greatest obstacle, obstacle to conversion in a person's life is simply an unanswered question. A lot of it makes sense. They believe. But they've just got this one question that they're stumbling over. They can't resolve. They just can't bring themselves to believe fully yet because of this problem. And, and, and so you want to ask, is there, is there a question? Is there a problem? Can I answer a question for you? And just stimulating that, and if we will answer questions, we can help people very, very, uh, sometimes very, very easily come to know the Lord. Now, not always. Our answers, remember, aren't always the answer. They're not going to be in and of themselves affected to bring someone to Christ because it requires that God be working in their life, as we saw in these passages. But we do need to be people who are prepared, equipped to answer questions. And even if a conversion does not come immediately, at least we have planted a seed. At least we've given us a substantial answer that they can look at, they can think through, and they can say, I can understand, I see. See, we've expanded perspective. Most people are living their life with a very narrow frame of reference, a very narrow perspective, very biased. Our goal with respect to them, helping them come to know Jesus, is to help expand their perspective and see things differently, maybe the way they've never seen them before. So they go, oh, I never thought about that. That's a good perspective. See, we're just sowing a seed if, in fact, we don't get that person to come to Christ right away. So often our role in evangelism will be to answer a question, but also we can ask a question. We can ask questions. And this can be kind of fun. If you train yourself, and, I, and I, I've, I've done this over the years, I've tried to train myself to listen in conversations, especially with people who are not believers, to train myself to listen for key words or key phrases. There's one key word I listen for. I don't care about the context. I don't care how they're using it. I just want the word. And the word is religion. If they say, I'm not religious, I don't care. I heard the word. That's my word. I home in on that word like a bomb, you know, like a smart bomb. In my response, when I hear that word, I say, oh, are you interested in spiritual things? No. Now, if I'm, if I'm in the zone, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> if things are clicking and I'm aware and I'm awake, then I'll say to them, you're not? Why not? So I'm just asking another question. Well, because, I, you know, generally, a couple of questions, you can actually draw the person out and begin to have a conversation with them, if you will. Just ask a question. Ask a question. Are you interested in spiritual things? If they say yes, you go, whoa, bingo. you got an opportunity to share. I'll ask people, what do you believe? Do you believe in God? No, why not? And then and invariably that will lead to a question, another problem, another issue we can talk about. 
I love it sometimes when, when you guys will bring somebody you've invited to church, bring up after the service, introduce them to me. Invariably, and some of you have been victim to my doing this. <laughs> Invariably, I'll say, well, it's, it's nice to meet you, uh, Jeanette. By the way, are you a Christian? Mm-hmm. See, and if Jeanette's not a Christian, she'll go, uh, uh, uh. And, and, and I got her hand. I'm not about to let go. <laughs> she knows I'm not going to let go. And I know that she knows that I'm not going to let go. And I, I say, are you a Christian? And, and before she can answer, I will typically say, not yet. Because <laughs> see if she hasn't answered in the affirmative right away. No, she's not. I'll say, not yet. Huh? And then I'll turn to her friend and I'll say, Theo. Have you not told her? (laughs) Make sense? No, I just scared off a whole bunch of people, haven't I? (laughs) I'm not going to bring my friend up there. No way. Put me on the spot. Maybe we need to be put on the spot. You see? And then if we can have a little bit of conversation, and I'll explore with this person why they may not be a Christian. One of the questions I'll, I'll, I'll try to sum it all up with, and I'll say, is there any reason, any reason at all, Jeanette, right now, why, why you couldn't ask Jesus into your heart? And generally, the response has been, no. Boy, you know you can just sense they want to be asked. They want to be asked. And so you ask the obvious, and it doesn't occur to people to ask the obvious. Is there any reason right now why we can't do this? And if they respond in the affirmative, I say, Theo, let's go. Let's take. Let's go in the prayer room and and let's uh, let's pray with Jeanette. Help her to receive Jesus. So ask a question. We answer questions. We can ask questions. And all the while, we we uh, we can see doors hopefully being opened. Uh, by the Lord himself. Another way is that we can recommend a book or even a tape. Recommend a book. Do you know that sometimes a book that you may have read will say to this person that you want to talk to what you want to say in just the way you want to say it that you can't say it? Does that make sense? We have, you know, over the, over the years, we have recommended books. And, and for years, we had every single month, we had a book of the month. And now we kind of have a book of the quarter, so to speak. And I'm, I'm recommending books to people all the time. I read a lot. I love to read. I think every Christian ought to be a reader, certainly of the Bible. If you're a Christian, you ought to have, you ought to be building a library. You ought to have at least four or five different versions of the Bible. You ought to have a King James, an NIV, an NASB, an NAS. You ought to have you have a Living Bible and so forth, the New Living Translation. You should have several versions so that you can read in all these versions and get the fullness of, of, of all the nuance of the meanings. You ought to have a, a, a Bible dictionary, certainly, if not a, a Bible encyclopedia. You ought, to have a, you ought to have a concordance. These are just minimal tools that every Christian ought to have at their disposal so that they can study the Bible, not just merely read it. And along with those other books, those reference books, you ought to have, you ought to, start, you ought to be building a library of, of books that have marked your life. Books on marriage. Books on, uh, on, on suffering. Books on uh, uh, evangelism. I mean, just there's, there's a whole list of books that you can have in your own personal library. And, and, and then you have these books as resources so that when you're talking to somebody, you know a situation, a life situation, you can recommend, you can loan them your book maybe. See, if you loan your book, then you can go back and follow up and ask if they've read it and talk to them about it in, in an effort to retrieve it. And most of these books are in paperback, so they're relatively inexpensive. There's a great book uh, for people who are, who are suffering and they're mad at God or they, they wonder where God is. And it's, a, it's been around for years. It's a classic. Uh, it's, it's, the title is, Where's God When It Hurts? Philip Yancey. Great book. I've given away lots of those books. There isn't a single person in life 
who hasn't been acquainted with suffering, pain, loss in some fashion, and who hasn't wondered, even some Christians, and hasn't wondered, where is God in the midst of my suffering? And you can go on and on and on and try to explain to them, but if you can just give them a book, and they can go off quietly, and they can read your book. And they read the places you underlined. It makes it more personal. C.S. Lewis, great writer. C.S. Lewis has a way with words. He is, he's, a, he's an artist with words. He has a way to turn a phrase that is marvelous. If you've got someone who's, who's kind of intellectual or maybe pseudo-intellectual, give him one of C.S. Lewis's books. Mere Christianity is a great one. A book I recommend for people who, who can't see Jesus. They, they don't see the impact of Jesus Christ. See some, some obscure figure in history is uh, by James Kennedy. Uh, what, would have, what would have happened if Jesus had never been born? Powerful book. I say, just read this. And they just go through it and they just see page after page after page of the incredible impact that Jesus Christ has had on human history. You come away just blown away. You go, wow, I didn't know all this stuff. You see, you recommend a book. You recommend a tape. Uh, somebody came to me uh, last night after the service, and they said, uh, uh, you know, my, uh, my, my brother's wife just left him. What do I say to him? How do I help him? And so we, we talked a little bit, got some background, and I said, send him the tapes on sexual sanity that we did uh, a couple months ago. That's that two-tape series on marriage. I just encourage him to listen to it. See, we can, we can recommend books. We can recommend tapes. We can encourage people to read. We're sowing seeds. We're just sowing seeds. We don't expect there's going to be a great harvest there necessarily immediately. Might be, but we're just sowing seeds. Let me say it this way. I discovered a dynamic that really helped me early on as a Christian. And this is what it was. I'm going to practice this is just practice. I'm just practicing. You see, that took the pressure off of me. Because we're always in this performance mode, aren't we? Oh, man, i got to be right on. i got to be perfect. No, no I'm just going to practice. I'm just practicing. I'm just going to try it. I'm going to experiment. See what happens. Boy, that took the pressure off me, and I was much better able to reach out to people. We can also recall a meaningful experience with God from our own life. In other words, part of our own testimony. People typically will find themselves relating with, their, with a personal experience, a concrete example, rather than some abstract idea. If you could share something out of your own life uh, with people, uh, an insight, an experience that you've had, um, how God maybe has used pain, how maybe he's used suffering, loss in your own life to sharpen you, to shape you, or maybe to redirect uh, your life. People relate to that. And they will listen. They will never forget what you say to them about your own testimony, how God has been real in your life. Let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you, I understand where you're at. I've been through that. I've been there. And I... Let me tell you how God helped me through that situation. Let me tell you what he showed me. People will sit there with their mouth open and listen to your story. I promise you. How many of you have experienced that? You know exactly what I'm talking about. That person will, will just begin to absorb from you because you're real, you're, you're sincere, and this was a real, real experience. And they they just might now catch a glimpse. They just might catch a glimpse of how life might begin to make sense for them too in the light of what you told them, in the light of biblical truth, in the light of God's love, very simply. We can offer to pray with people. We can offer to pray with people or pray for them. Non-believers typically will not ask for prayer when prayer is probably the most important thing they need right then and there. I believe with all my heart that prayer is the most powerful way that you can intervene in another person's life. I believe that when you go to prayer, 
when you get people praying with you, when you begin to pray persistently, you go to God on behalf of somebody else, prayer moves God's hand. Things change. Things happen. We see it throughout the Bible. We see God telling us to pray. Things happen. And so we can pray for people. We offer to pray with them. It's great, great opportunities. I have a neighbor who, a uh, very, very wonderful man, and uh, we were out in the front yard of our, of our, our house, his next-door neighbor. We were talking one afternoon, and the time just kind of went on, and, and it was turning into evening, and we were just, just talking. And he's not a believer. I know that he's not a believer. He knows that I know he's not a believer. We do that, you know. And so he, he was telling me about a situation where he works. He's a corporate attorney. He had to deal with this particular difficult issue. He wasn't sure how to deal with it. He was kind of dreading it. Didn't want to have to face it. It was a great, great problem. And so I said to him, I mean, I'm listening to him. And, and, and the Lord's speaking to me. Pray for him. Pray for him. I'm going, oh, gosh. Out in the front yard, Lord. I mean, all the neighbors will see. Embarrassing. So before I knew it, I said, you know what, Bill? Can I pray for you? I'm going to pray about that for you. Now, he's not a, he's not a religious guy, spiritual guy, you know. He said, well, you know, that sort of thing. And before I knew it, I'm putting my hands on him. And I'm bowing my head. I said, let me pray for you right now. So I just put my hands on his shoulders. And I'm, and I'm praying for him. You know, it, it dawned on me, by the way, that there's no commandment that says you have to pray with your eyes closed. You know? So... So I'm praying for him, my, my eyes closed, my head bowed, you know, Lord, you know, take care, da, 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 and, and I peek, I look up. <laughs> and he's looking straight past me, just as stiff as a board. So I close my eyes in Jesus' name. And he was just, just as stiff as a board. So I said, there, let's see what happens now. Next day, I saw him. He says, funny thing. He said, that situation resolved itself. I said, I don't think so. I said, we prayed, remember? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, we're just sowing seeds. So whether you pray for a problem of the moment, if you will, or whether you go to someone and say, you know, is there something in your life I can be praying about for you? And most people say, well, yeah, I will pray I win the lottery. No, no, no. I mean, something, something real, something significant in your life, something in your life that I could pray about that, that, that you would want God to do to help you with. And you write it down. See, writing it down shows that you're sincere. You say, I'm going to pray all week, and I'll check with you next week, and I'll, well, let's see if, if something happens. If something happens in the meantime, call me let me know. So you pray all week, you go into the end of the week, you say, did anything happen? No, nothing happened, nothing changed. Okay, I'm going to pray again all week. Go back to the end of the second week, anything happen? No. <coughs> now, what are, you, what are you to assume now? Prayer doesn't work. It's not God's will. No. Keep praying. At this point now, after two or three or four weeks of continuous praying, going back and following up, still, if nothing has happened, do you think that this person is going to be impressed with your commitment to pray for him or her? Oh, absolutely. They're going to walk. You're going to, you can say, oh, no, you don't have to. You don't have to. No, no, I know I don't have to. I want to. You have this need, and I'm asking God to help you. You know, because God's doing something simultaneously in you. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's not like you got it all together, right? <laughs> You're the Savior. <laughs> no. 
And boy, when a concrete, undeniable answer to a specific prayer happens, whoo, what a catalyst to faith. We can perform small acts of kindness. Small acts of kindness. Not necessarily to be noticed, not necessarily to, to, to say, look how good I am. But you just reach and touch people's lives. There's people all around us who, who need help, people all around us who are hurting, people all around us who, who could just appreciate some encouragement. For a long while, I was taken to my neighbor's trash cans on Monday morning. Monday is my day off. It's my Sabbath. And, and it so happens to be also the day that the garbage guys come collect our garbage in our neighborhood. So all the other neighbors are off and gone at work and so forth, and the neighborhood is basically vacant. So I, I haul in trash cans Monday morning. And it's just, I, just, it just, I just giggle. I just giggle. I do because I'm, I'm thinking of these people when they get home. I say, how my trash cans get up there? Now, it's obviously somebody did it. And then one of the neighbors caught me. I said, why'd you do that? Why? Are you been taking in these trash cans? I've been wondering who's been doing this. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I just, I just want to show you the love of God. No. Simple way. Wow. See, you can do little things that will touch other people. If you know a family that has kids and, and, and they hardly get time away from their kids and they'd like a night out, you just say, you know what, we'll babysit your kids one night. You let me know. You let, I want to babysit your kids. Give them a little coupon. They can redeem it. Babysitting coupon. So they have a night out. Take them a meal. Surprise them. Bake them some cookies. Right, there's a zillion things. Mow their lawn. My friend Mark Kokel, who uh, pastors Hope, uh, Hope uh, uh, in West L.A., um, West uh, Del Rey, was telling me that uh, he began to mow his neighbor's lawn. He said it was real funny. One day, he, he has an electric mower, and he was mowing his neighbor's lawn with his electric mower, and he couldn't get, because the, the cord on the mower wouldn't go an extra six feet. So he, he's mowing it, and the neighbor across the street was watching him do this and brought him out a longer cord. <laughs> You just never know who's watching. And then he said that the neighbors kind of got together and started mowing each other's lawns. It was a phenomenal. Just, you just never know what's going to happen. So we can perform small acts of kindness. We can live our faith without apology. Should we live our faith without apology? I think so. Beloved, we don't have to be pushy about sharing our faith, but we don't have to hide it either. As I said earlier, most of us have to get over our chickenness, our unwillingness to, uh, to be open and share our faith uh, without apology. You know, for the longest time, uh, I used, when I would go out to eat, and especially with non-Christians, there's that, there's that awkward moment. Do I pray? Do I not pray? What do we say? Do, you, know, uh, mm, uh, you know, so, you know, you just kind of go... <laughs> You, know, you scratch your head, you put your face in your hand and pray and kind of get through it real quick. No one notices. It's not awkward. It's not embarrassing. I hated that. I felt really dumb. And so I hit upon this solution. And it seems so simple because I asked the Lord, Lord, I don't like this. Show me a way that I can do this in an unembarrassed, very real way. So I got this thought. So the next time, next time we went out to eat, went with some non-Christian friends, and there were, there were a bunch of us sitting at this table. And uh, you know where Benny Hanna's restaurant is? Yes. Over in Torrance? You know, you get, you know, the guys throwing the knives and the whole deal. You know, <laughs> just all this commotion. So we were sitting at this big old teppanyaki table. And all the, all the food's out there. And I said, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's my custom to give thanks before I eat. Would you mind if I did it for all of us? Now, do you think anybody said no? <laughs> now, I didn't, I didn't do it in a way that was super spiritual. I didn't do it in a way that tried to call attention to myself. I did it in a way that was very real, I thought very natural. I said, do you mind? It's my custom. I can give thanks for all of us. 
And you know what? The marvelous thing? Everybody bowed their head. And it was, it was wonderful because it really set the tone for the evening and for our meal together. It was wonderful. The, 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 the following time was just marvelous. So you can live your faith unapologetically. You can, you can live it in such a way that people know that you are a Christian. You can, you can seek to, to speak about the Lord in the midst of your conversations. Talk about the Bible. Talk about how God has affected your life. Um, I, I typically will say, people will, will say to me, hey, see you tomorrow. I say, Lord willing. Lord willing. And now i got guys who are not believers that are good friends of mine that know that. And so when I say, see you tomorrow, they say, Lord willing. <laughs> see, these are just little seeds. They're little seeds. We're watering. We're sowing and watering. Sowing and watering. They're little links in that chain. One man told me some time ago in, in our congregation how he had come to the Lord. It was a fascinating little story. He said, you know, he said, I had a fishing buddy who was a Christian, but that he never, ever preached to me. Never, ever, never, ever told me about the Lord. But I watched his life. And he said, one thing really impacted me about his life. He said that he would never, ever go fishing if on a fishing trip interfered with coming to church on Sunday. Wow. A lot of us could take a lesson from that guy, couldn't we? He said, and you know, it used to frustrate me sometimes because we had some great trips planned, but he couldn't go or he'd have to cut, we'd have to cut the trip short because he couldn't miss church on Sunday. So he said, finally, one day I just had to ask him, what is so important about church? Was there an open door there? See, just the fact of how this man lived his life was a testimony that required this other man to ask him a question. And he was able to tell him why church was so important to him. How wonderful it was for him to be with God's people. Not just to get, but to be an instrument of God's grace into other people's lives also. He said, God uses me. I want to be available and I want to be faithful. I want to be in the midst of the congregation when their hands are raised and God is being praised. I want to join in the chorus of voices. He says, I need to be there week after week after week after week. I need to be there. Not just for what I get out of it, but also for what I can contribute. Spoke to that man powerfully. Open the door. Testimony. He came to become a Christian as a result of it. See, we're just sowing seeds. Just sowing seeds. How we live. If we live our lives, uh, beloved, without apology as Christians. We provide also ourselves as an example of integrity. When I was a brand new Christian, not, I, I, I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't in seminary. I, I, I just was a brand new Christian. And I went to work for a man who... Uh, wanted me to do some things that were unethical. Prior to being a Christian, I would have done them. No big deal. And you could justify those things. Well, you know, we just cut corners here, do that, do this, do that. Now I'd become a Christian. And uh, he was requiring me to do these things, and I, I went to him, and I just had a real dilemma. And I knew that if I went to him, I had to tell him that not that I can't do it, but I rather I won't do it. And that I knew that if he, if, he, if he needed to let me go, that would be fine. Uh, it was his business, but I wouldn't violate my integrity. And so I did. I went and talked to him, spoke to him about it. And I said, you know, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't not do this before, but now I won't do it. I said, I'm a Christian, and I want to honor God with my behavior. And I said, by the way, you know, just having me here, God's going to bless your business. You don't need to do these things. I did. I told him that. I, I told him I laid his, my hands on his cash register and prayed for it that God would bless him. And God was blessing his business. And he, he had to admit, he saw, yeah, the business was getting better. 
So I said, now I realize that my refusal to do this thing will, you know, you, you, you have some options. You could probably think you need to let me go. And, and you know what? That's okay. I, I understand. And he thought for a couple of minutes. He didn't say anything. And I'm thinking, whoa, he's, he's really weighing this thing. He thought for a couple of minutes. He says, no. He says, I appreciate your integrity. I appreciate the fact that you would tell that to me. And I also appreciate the fact that because you won't do that, you won't steal from me. That's a smart man. I worked for him for 18 months. At the end of the 18 months, he told me, he says, don't leave. I'll pay you anything you want. Don't leave. Because <laughs> his business was booming. When I left, his business went right down the tubes. He had to sell it. I had witness to him, a witness to him, witness to him. But you see, we want to provide an example of integrity. I don't know whatever happened to his life. I don't know where he is. But I do know that God used me in that man's life. A testimony. Sowing some seeds. You know, people notice. When you tell them you're one of those born-agains, people notice. You're one of those born-agains? Go, uh, 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 yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So pathetic sometimes, aren't we? <laughs> they watch your life. They watch how you behave. They watch how you conduct yourself. Waiting any second for you to step out of line. And the minute you step out of line, boy, they're on you like a, like a June bug, man. A cheap suit. They're all over you. <laughs> I thought you were a Christian. Well, I am. Well, Christians don't do those things. You're right. Thanks for the rebuke. I needed that. <laughs> Is that what they would typically hear? No, they typically hear every justification under the sun. Well, you don't understand. You know, I'm explain. I'm not perfect. You know, <laughs> get out of here. They notice. People notice when you don't participate in the gossip. When the gossip starts, you very graciously, very quietly exit. They notice and respect you when you don't participate in the coarse jesting and in the inappropriate jokes. They notice. They notice when at a, at a gathering of, of, of company people, party, whatever, they notice when you choose not to drink. You graciously say, no, thank you, and you can still have a good time. They notice. And they respect you. Just planting seeds. Planting seeds. Provide an example of integrity. Even a small, visible act of integrity can prompt a curious inquiry about why. Why do you live your life this way? Lastly, we want to be patient. We want to be patient. You know, it's difficult sometimes for us to persevere when the fruit doesn't appear right away. But we remember Paul's encouragement, Paul's admonition. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's frustrating sometimes for us. Even in our planting and watering, when we don't see fruit happen if not immediately, even over the long run, sometimes, you know, we lose contact with people. And you make a, a, a small investment in someone's life, you think, I wonder what ever happened to that person. I wonder if what I said or did ever had an impact on their life. I wonder where they are. I wonder whatever became of them. Periodically, I, I, I go through our directories. I have a stack of church directories from the very first one. And sometimes I'll just close my office door and I'll put the phone on Do Not Disturb and I'll just get out this stack and I'll just go through them, look at all the faces, and I just marvel at the thousands of people who've come through this church over the years. And I go, I say, what happened to that person? Gosh, I wonder where they are. And you know, it just, it just brings like floods of memories and opportunities and, and times when I have personally and as well uh, corporately had an opportunity to input in somebody's life. Not knowing where they are, where they've gone, or what's ever happened to them. That's frustrating. But even in the face of that, 
I know God says he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So whatever I was able to input into someone's life, I have confidence that if that, if that was a thirsty soul, that wasn't a waste. It was a seed that was sown. It was a seed that was watered. It was an opportunity to minister to somebody, and it was just another link in that chain. And Lord willing, when we all get to heaven, there'll be a grand reunion. I, I, you know, I envision this. I don't know if it'll happen, but I envision that when we're all in heaven together, finally, when it's the, the whole kingdom is consummated, when God's plan is finished for this, this era, if you will, the people will be gathering together, and they'll be coming after us. Hey, you don't remember me, but, but thank you so much when you prayed for me. Thank you so much. Oh, you don't remember. But I watched you at work, and you did this and such. And thank you so much. And, you know, this is going to be this, all this people, con- you know, just saying thanks. <laughs> I don't know if that'll happen. But it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You just begin to see the fruit of all of your faithfulness, all of your labor. Some simple ways to share your faith. Simple ways. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you do give us the privilege and a part to play in your kingdom and in your will. Lord, we know that you bring the growth, that you cause the harvest to happen. But you've given us a part to play, each and every one of us, just even in little ways, marginal ways, how we live, how we speak. Being equipped and prepared to answer a question. Maybe ask a question. Lord, just doing something nice for somebody. Reaching out to them. Offering a prayer. Lord, thank you. I pray that we would be people who just are reminded of these things and we would continue in our faithfulness and that we would see you bring a great harvest for your glory. Lord, now as we approach your table, we pray that your grace will be abundant to us as we remember you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, I know I've gone a little bit long, so I'm going to ask you to indulge me for just a little bit longer. We're going to take communion as a congregation. If you're a Christian and you're with us for the first time, we invite you to take communion with us. The protocol is very simple. These are all the communion servers. They're not leaving the church, by the way. (laughs) 